You are listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well, where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning, purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Mingfoynes, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. I am so thrilled to welcome you here today, Justine, for this podcast. And Justine is a teacher and guide of mindfulness and the erotic, which involves sex, desire, self-expression, and connection. She walks with people out of the binds of shame, fear, and judgment back to their own desire and innate knowing. Currently based in Los Angeles, she teaches at Insight LA and offers one-on-one and group coaching to students throughout the world. So thank you again, Justine, for joining us here today. Thanks, Melissa. It's good to see you. You too. So I'd love to start off by having you share a bit about your personal journey to mindfulness and the erotic and what led you, what compelled you in this direction. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a long journey with so many different chapters now. And I, I was thinking back last night, actually, to if I could trace back to the beginning. There's so many different points. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see, where I'll start is in my, my late 20s and my early 30s, I was doing uh, a lot of meditation practice. So I started with short retreats, which grew longer. Um, I started doing long retreats of two to three months and I found an incredible ease and depth in that world Mm. of silence and solitude, um, being able to sit with myself and get to know my inner world and the nature of my mind. And what I found is that I would leave those retreats and come into contact with other people. And so many of the um, challenges that I had faced before felt like they came right up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, I'd be faced with conversation, connection, and I would either freeze or feel a lot of anxiety or not know how to interact in the world. Almost like there was this rush of energy that would come in Mm -hmm. and then I wouldn't know how to meet it. I was so used to things being more Mm. calm and Mm -hmm. solitary (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I knew how to operate in that world, which I know some people might find intimidating to be in that aloneness. But for me, it was very comfortable and familiar. And so that was one piece. I, I knew I would come out of these long retreats and I was like, huh, there's something here. Like either I can, um, move forward, reducing my circumstances, like, trying to make them more solitude, more Mm -hmm. quiet. And and I forward projected into that and could see, okay, you know, maybe I want to ordain. Maybe I want to go to Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I really want to take that all the way. But there was also this little voice that said, and I'd always had this throughout my life of don't exclude anything. Mm. 
and, and a real sense that in doing that, there would both be a lot of depth and beauty in that path, but mm -hmm. there would also be a way that I was accessing a kind of freedom through exclusion. Mm. And, and I had the sense inside that that wasn't right for me. Mm -hmm. So, so that was one piece. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the other was, is that as I was doing mindfulness practice, I had always been quite shy, more introverted. Um, and, and yet longing for this sense of aliveness and connection. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing more and more of like the mindfulness practice and the meditation, there were times where I could tap into, you know, sensation and aliveness, but there also could be a place where mindfulness and that meditative practice conflated with my habits of control, mm, <laughs> of, yes. mm -hmm. right, of, of being more strict with myself, mm -hmm. of, uh, of kind of this discerning, judging mind. Mm -hmm. And so while some, some aspects of it were really powerful and beautiful and continue to this day, there were other aspects that were molding right in with my personality that mm -hmm. I don't think were helpful. And so it provoked questions for me of, oh, wait, how do I actually undo some of that conditioning? Mm -hmm. and, and how do I access this feeling of aliveness, like vitality, this feeling of being hydrated or deeply nourished. Uh, and especially how do I do that in a world of connection? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so those were the two questions that really set me off on the path of wanting to understand more deeply, like what I've come to uh, name as the erotic. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I love what you said about this discernment, like how there was a certain direction you could have gone that would have been nourishing and beautiful in its own right. And yet there was something about it that wasn't resonating, that structuring your life in a way that allowed for more solitude wasn't quite it. It wasn't quite the, the solution, so to speak, because I think so often, as you said, there are so many different paths that we can seek to achieve what we're hoping to achieve and that can feel in alignment. And so there is this, this way in which discernment is so important to that process. Absolutely. And the way that I've come to understand that is understanding more deeply my underlying motivation. Mm -hmm. So there was both this deep motivation to want to understand the nature of my mind, to feel more open, to um, have a sense of interconnection, all those things that can develop through meditation. Mm -hmm. And there was also this motivation, <laughs> which could say, oh, it's more comfortable being alone. It's more familiar being alone. In some ways, playing out a, a habit that uh, I would now say, like, wasn't serving me. Yes. And so, and, and I think for a lot of people on the spiritual path or really in anywhere in life, we can look at where our decisions are motivated by a conditioned habit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and when they're motivated by a true openness mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and a, and a draw towards something that's resonant. And so I had to do mm -hmm. a lot of work to untie those two. Yes. And that continues to be, you know, a lot of my work with myself and with clients is 
oh, what's the thing that's really motivating us? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, where is it past patterns, trauma, fears, shame? Mm-hmm. And certainly it's like I had my own unique collection of those things. Right. As we all do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that, that's really, you know, that, that was the beginning of the path. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's so interesting to think about the ways in which this conditioning operates on so many different levels. There is, there are these ways in which, as you said, conditioning of whatever variety, whether it's cultural conditioning or gender mm-hmm. socialization or mm-hmm. negative sexual experiences or traumas that, they can infiltrate in a way that sometimes we can confuse what we can feel confused about um, whether that motivation is coming from that conditioning versus that sort of innate wise inner part of ourselves. And so it can take work to untie and to clarify. And then there are ways in which we experience that conditioning on a broad level and then also specifically related to sex and ways that we think about ourselves as sexual beings, ways that we relate to sex, the ways that we express ourselves sexually. It's just so many different facets of our sexual lives and sexual beingness is also affected by that conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is the, what it asks of us, what I find it asks of us is a willingness as we investigate to say, is that really true? Like, Mm -hmm. how do I see what's actually true? And, and even that question itself is often the layers of an onion, you know, it's drawing us deeper and deeper in and it's constantly revealing something new Mm -hmm. and, and to be able to um, not take for granted the top layer for so many reasons, right? You know, for example, if we, we take something like, like sex mm-hmm. and how much gets tied up in it, like you said, culturally, mm-hmm. um, you know, personally, our own histories, our own traumas, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of these uh, morally, religiously, all of mm-hmm. these different things. And to, to be willing to sit with the questions, to get, you know, slowly drop beneath the surface to feel what's actually right and true for me. And, and I actually, I want to just hop back because I'll, I'll take yeah, an example that just came to mind was, for instance, when I would leave retreat and I would, you know, there'd be times at the end of retreat, we'd say, oh, we're going to stop being silent. We're going to start talking now. And I would start to feel this upwelling in my body of heat, of pressure in my chest, of mm. kind of this shaky vibration. And I've really come to associate that feeling with unpleasant, with wrong and mm, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, I want to get away from this feeling. Yeah. Now, the thing with that is that I had so intertwined that that same feeling can be the feeling of turn on. Right. Of mm-hmm. aliveness, of, of energy for life moving through us. But I had so learned to label it wrong because it wasn't calm. It wasn't, you know, what I think of as at ease. Mm-hmm. I wasn't at ease with that feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and so when it came up, I would just think this is bad and I want to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was so intertwined that I could hardly second guess that feeling, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 
And so a lot of that work, and this was like bringing the mindfulness together as well as an erotic awareness. And this is a lot of the work also that I find um, helps people is, wait, can I be curious about that feeling? And might it be something different than I am relating to it as? Mm -hmm. So how do I unwind the stories about it and come into relationship with mm -hmm. that aliveness in my body? Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, for instance, let's say we'll label it anxiety, where for a lot of my life, if I had that anxiety and I would just think, I've got to get rid of this, it's mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to either get away from people or change the circumstances or calm myself down. And mm -hmm. instead, actually, as I started to work with it and, and get intimate with that mm -hmm. feeling rather than trying to annihilate it. Yes. <laughs> actually, you know what you can think of the sort of like the harshness of that reaction. But if I could open to that aliveness in me, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, maybe this is the energy for connection. Maybe mm -hmm. this is the feeling of being in the stream of life. Uh, maybe it's energy for creation. So many different things. But when I didn't need to get rid of it, when I didn't need to change it, when I could be curious about it, mm -hmm. then in so many areas of my life, uh, there was a lot more possibility. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more openness. And, and actually what there really was, was a uh, beginning of a relationship to the erotic. Mm. It's, I so love that example because I think it really does show how conditioned some of our labels are, like you said, how we make sense of our internal experience, which can sometimes have judgment in it, or it can, it can be a non-judgmental description, but just how those labels and those narratives are often so automatic and so conditioned and how so much of the process involves a slowing down and that sort of novel curiosity, like meeting something as though it's there for the first time. And as you were talking, I was reminded of a recent experience that I had also related to anxiety where I was doing something new and talking to a friend about it and feeling really anxious. And as I was talking, she said something to me like, are you sure it's anxiety or is it excitement? Uh -huh. And it's not, it's not that they necessarily need to be mutually exclusive, but her question did help me realize that there was also that aliveness that you're talking about. It, it wasn't just this sensation in my body and collection of, of thoughts and emotions that was bad or mm -hmm. all about dread, that there, there were also components of excitement and aliveness and, and fire that were pleasurable, but it, in my mind, it almost got intertwined with this like gestalt of anxiety in a way that wasn't helpful. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And, and if we, you know, for, and I'll talk for myself. So when I was really immersed in a world that highly prioritized calm, mm -hmm. um, an, an easefulness, a quietness, mm -hmm. which really just matched up perfectly to so much of my, my personality. Mm -hmm. And when it prioritized and it sort of exalted those qualities, if I felt these other feelings, I would feel like, okay, now I've got to go to work at changing them. Yes. And, and I didn't realize at that time in my life, it was also that feeling of missing a feeling of aliveness, missing a feeling of like excitement about life. Like, wow, this is really turning me on. I love what I'm doing. You know, I would, for instance, 
at that point in my life, I was in a relationship. And while it was um, seemingly well-matched and quite beautiful and, you know, our, our values and interests and things were resonant, there was this flatness, mm. what I describe almost like a dryness, mm-hmm. you know, both uh, sexually and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing that, oh, my efforts, um, both my efforts and my judgment that any of that, those bigger, more uncomfortable, you know, for me, uncomfortable, intense feelings were somehow wrong and trying to reduce them had a direct correlation to that feeling of, of emptiness. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so interesting that how we engage with it, how we respond to however we're making sense of it can then reinforce certain things and sort of dry up or minimize or flatten other things. Yeah. 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 And, and that's one thing I see with clients is often around sexuality. And this would be especially true you know, so in my experience, like women who have sexual trauma mm-hmm. or some aspect of, 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 um, of pain around that area mm-hmm. is that that sensation of sexuality of, of the erotic um, has become so intermixed with a painful memory and painful mm-hmm. feelings that when the sensation arises, which in and of itself isn't wrong, it's like an alert of a, a, a negative experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what could be a, a value neutral or even a pleasant sensation mm-hmm. then becomes unpleasant and, and, and activating and dangerous. And a lot of the work is being able to disentangle those two and to come into relationship mm-hmm. with that feeling in the body in a way that is safe that can start to develop our own relationship to that pleasure and to that feeling. And so that there's kind of a reclamation mm-hmm. of the erotic um, as its own, um, as its own experience um, in a new way. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not intertwined uh, with those painful experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course it's, so understandable that that has become so intertwined for so many people. And as you said, so often it is a a self-protective mechanism of sorts and Mm -hmm. the body and mind's way of alerting us, hey, in the past, this kind of sensation or experience was associated with something that harmed you. And so it's, it's, again, it's almost like that discernment again of distinguishing between something that was that was harmful in the past and something that might be relatively safe now even though it is tied in some way whether through body memory or cognition to something in the past and having people be able to discern that with confidence so there yeah. is that sort of reclamation and reconnection to sense of of self as a person but also as a sexual being yeah as yeah. well yeah, that's it. it. It's actually having me think of um, recently I was working with a client who was talking about like, there's a way that she didn't trust sex. And mm-hmm. it felt like, you know, sex could be um, 
you know, it would either take her out of control or, you know, which act ultimately we all want, right? But at the same time, out of control in a way of feeling like, oh, it wouldn't go to a good place. In the end, mm-hmm. she'd end up regretting it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was complicated. It was, um, you know, it feels like she would end up very easily in obligation, which I think for many women is mm-hmm. a fear that, oh, when I go into sex, I just end up doing things that I don't really want to do mm-hmm. or, I kind of get, you know, I I so easily fall into obligation, which I would say is one of the primary patterns I see in, in women, in people who identify as women, right? Mm -hmm. Is this Mm -hmm. experience. Yep. And one thing that we talked about was separating sex itself from, uh, how to describe this, from the the disconnection we've had from our internal guidance Mm. and 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 the truth being it wasn't and it isn't that sex was wrong or sex was dangerous but what was was dangerous and difficult was a lack of trust and and acting in resonance with our own desire Mm. Mm -hmm. and you know for so many different reasons Mm -hmm. but that you know let's say in this case of, you know, going into an erotic experience and feeling like, oh, right now I want this. Okay. Oh yes. This feels so good. It feels so alive. And then the next moment, something different is asked for. Mm -hmm. And can I stay true to that? Mm -hmm. And then the next moment, something else completely different, or there's the next moment where I suddenly feel, oh, I feel full. I want to stop right here. Mm -hmm. And that we can stay in alignment with that underlying pulse, like both that we have the capacity to hear it because we've Mm -hmm. tuned in, we're willing to hear what it says Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we're willing to do what it says. Yes. And so it's, you know, and when we don't do that, then sex feels overwhelming and scary and, or so many things, um, you know, like, oh, it just ends up in a bad place. But actually it's the connection to that under, you know, I'll call it desire, you know, mm-hmm. that underlying voice. And when we, you know, there's all the reasons why we don't, but then so much of the work and the work I find myself doing with people, actually women and men, um, especially women is the relationship to that internal guidance. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes back to there, it's like, oh, because if, if that internal guidance can't trust me mm-hmm. <laughs> to follow it, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to trust my circumstances mm-hmm. because somehow I don't have this, um, the safety of a connection to my own innate knowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a beautiful way to describe that reciprocal relationship, that it's like there's an element of needing to tap into and access, hear, trust, and listen to our inner guide. And it is through that tapping into and listening and following that the inner guide then feels more able to be loud and ha- express itself, that that it, there is yeah. that sort of reciprocity that exists. And, and I also love how you describe it as a moment to moment awareness, because I think so often we think of intention or desire as sort of like a one moment in time kind Mm of monolithic entity. And as you said, it's, it's constantly evolving and changing. And so 
there's this ongoing need to be in touch with that. It's not just one moment in time that I access inner wisdom. It's this continual dynamic process. And, and if some moment of time is different than an earlier moment in time in terms of what I want or need or desire, that's not a betrayal to myself or someone else. It's actually quite the opposite. It's a form of listening and a form of listening that serves me and my connection with other people. Because I think so often we think of it as breaking of a commitment or changing of our minds in a way that is laden with judgment or that we're betraying ourselves or something. So I, I just really love how you, how you conceptualize it and describe it. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And, and it's where I see so many people getting caught is that, you know, again, generally in our culture, like in the kind of Western culture, Mm -hmm. it would be this exaltation of, um, commitment, Mm -hmm. structure, um, a staying with something, no matter what, Mm um, uh, you know, also in some ways, like a formula, like, okay, here's how you do things. Like we love equations yes. and formulas <laughs> and rules mm-hmm. and, and they have their place, mm-hmm. right? Like structure and all these, we definitely see it in, in, in psychological and spiritual practices. And what happens though is, you know, with any, and this is like, a, so in sex, this is huge, right? Because there's countless books. Most of the books about sex out there are positions and formulas Mm -hmm. and try this and Mm -hmm. based on the act and what you should do. And, um, you know, or even like a lot of life advice is follow this formula, do Mm -hmm. this thing. Mm -hmm. And the nature, you know, I would say the nature of the ride, but really the nature of life and of being (laughs) is that it's so organic Mm -hmm. and it changes moment to moment. And, um, and to be able to be tuned in and to feel like, what's this moment asking of me? And, uh, you know, what is the underlying desire saying? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that we like never commit to anything at all, mm-hmm. um, because that might be like an, a kind of an abiding deep desire that we're committing to. And it's also when we so prioritize like a formula, a goal, you know, our kind mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. uh, that we miss all of this information that comes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like for instance, in sex, it's like, oh, I'm a, I have a goal of climax. So I'm just focused on that, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm so, mm-hmm. and then our body is, is, is asking for all of these different experiences that would actually be really fulfilling and nourishing but if we have the skull of climax, we don't listen to any of what our body's asking. We're just trying to make one thing happen. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so again, it's like we're disconnected from this internal guidance, you know, really like the sensations, the aliveness in the body. Um, either we, we don't want to listen to it. We're caught in our ideas. And, uh, and so we miss out on, on the depth and the nourishment of sex. Because mm-hmm. we're we're in an idea of sex rather than the visceral reality of it. Yes. And so focused on the outcome that the nuances of the process and, and the pleasures that we can experience throughout the process get missed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's where you get all of the on the one hand, 
you know, which I won't say is always the case, but I do see it with a lot of women is that experience of like, we get in there and why, why don't we listen to that underlying thing is we feel obligated. Mm-hmm. We feel like, well, I've said yes to something now, mm-hmm. um, or I feel like I need to do this. I want my partner to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's like somehow feeling like we're not allowed to change direction Yes, <laughs> or mm-hmm. we're not, you know, that we, we, if we said something, we have to stick to it or, or just that, um, denigrating of our own desire. It's mm-hmm. asking for something and we have this picture of what it should look like. And so we think our desire is not good. It's not enough. You know, it's not somehow our desire is not right. Mm-hmm. Or even too much. Not or enough it could or be too, too much. much. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, it's really two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. right? And then what I often see in men, and again, this is not universal and, and, but often is this both, um, a performative drive of wanting to do it right, mm-hmm. wanting to achieve, wanting to succeed that, you know, in some ways is a beautiful intention, but then often ends up with their, with their partner or partners is that they're not tuned into the moment mm-hmm. because they so much have the, the goal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we all have, and you know, whatever, however you identify to any of those things, it's like, we have these things that take us out of the direct experience and a sense of like, there's actually a lot of, of wisdom and information that's available, but we have to drop beneath those habits to Mm -hmm. be able to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I do think it's, as you're talking, it seems to me so clear that even though there are so many different ways in which this conditioning can manifest, that the common thread is something that takes us out of the moment. And there is so much, for many of us, so much emotional charge around sex and and so much messaging and and conditioning and habit that gets formed. And as you said, sometimes sex is not something that is as quiet as a silent meditation retreat, right? Like (laughs) there is maybe one or more other people there. There's, you know, it's, um, in one of your writings, you, you talked about it as sort of like raw and unfiltered yes. and that is the nature of, of sex and that kind of vulnerability sometimes. And so I guess I'm wondering how do you, of course, there's a parallel here between mindfulness and meditation, helping us be in the moment and not be taken uh-huh. out of the moment and being in sex or sexual encounters, even if it's with ourselves during self-stimulation, for example, um, how do you help people bridge what they may be cultivating in mindfulness and meditation uh-huh. practice to the sexual domain, give, given that it's not always quiet, there's a charge, there's a yes. rawness. It's, it's almost like, um, like calling your skills to a higher place, so to speak, that it's, yes. it's, it's a beautiful opportunity and practice ground. And yet also, as you were saying a few minutes ago too, with with trauma, there may be real understandable fear there about mm-hmm. approaching some of this um, and some concern about the ambiguity around what this might be like to approach sex in a different way, to express ourselves in a different way. So that was a lot of questions rolled right. into one. They're, they're <laughs> but, great. They're yeah. great. There's so many things I can say and, and I'll go through them. So first of all, I actually was reminded of this last night that 
at one point, a, a teacher said to me, you know, mindfulness and control are two different things. Mm. And there is that, like I've mentioned, that, that there can be sort of a danger in mindfulness of so wanting to, to kind of handle our experience and, and see it, that it actually, it gets conflated with control. And when and we're bringing mindfulness into sex, there is that danger that, like you said, sex ultimately is this being out of control. It's this mm-hmm. letting go. It's messy. It's not like, oh, and then there's this one moment, you know? <laughs> and so that can be, that's a flavor of sex, sure. but it's not the only one. And if we try to get our sex into that containment, it can be over-containing and, and, and essentially it kills the energy. Mm-hmm. So, so here's, here's how I see it. There is, there is a, a, because sex is about being able to let go, ultimately, ultimately the deepest, most nourishing sex is in that ability to surrender mm. and to trust whatever comes through us to completely let go that we're so deeply in the experience, we're not trying to control and make it happen anymore. And in some ways, something beyond us takes us. Mm. Of course, that's like also the great stories we hear of mystical experiences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my, my, my experience, my sense is that that's a yearning we all have. Mm-hmm. Now, if we don't trust something in ourselves, it's hard to go there. Yeah because we have a need then we have that need to control and we'll find ways to do it whether we do it through mindfulness or through repression or through withdrawal we all have you know addictions whatever everyone has their own way of trying to control mm-hmm. and so first of all the work is developing some trust so that you know these different aspects of self in some ways we have this internal intimacy with our different aspects of self, that there is a sense that well, you're going to listen to me. I can trust. And when I can trust, I can let go. Mm-hmm. So that is where that connection to desire of, um, of being able to listen to it, that, that inner voice, that as we do that more and more, then there is that more a unified sense of trust mm-hmm. and, and not like, oh, well, I know if I let go, it's going to end up a disaster on the other side right? Now, often when we're not integrated, that's what happens. And you see that a lot, you know, um, that's where you see a lot of sort of what would be called sexual misconduct is people don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have an integration. And then when sex comes out, it comes out sideways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and we probably all have our own versions of that, whether it's, you know, through repression or expression. Mm -hmm. So we develop this, we, we develop this internal intimacy. And as we do that, we can develop the capacity to let go. And then in the letting go, there's, there's something that's far greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just, just recently, actually, I was talking to a woman who um, had done years of meditation experience, was like deeply practiced. And said, you know, in all these years, she always felt like she would get to a place in meditation where she could like, she could see she was about to go beyond her habitual mind, like beyond thoughts and all this into like a a, a vaster space. And she couldn't quite go there. Like there was always something that would pull back at that moment. Her mind would kick in. 
And then she went on and she was describing in her sex life how there were these moments mm. where she would get close to climax and then something in her body would pull back. And, and ultimately in both, you know, what, what we discovered in there was that both of those require an ability to trust that it's safe to let go. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to go to something that is beyond our conscious control, mm. like whether it's the ego, quote unquote, the ego, you know, that, that sense of self that wants to hold on because it's, it's scared. It doesn't trust. So it won't mm-hmm. let go in meditation or in a spiritual or religious experience. It fights against it, you know, or in sex where we contract down and, and for women who, um, have a hard time letting go in climax. This can be true. It's like there's something where it's hard to go out of control. It's scary. It's confronting. Mm-hmm. So many different reasons why. But this is where I see, you know, the the overlap and the importance then of developing some trust and some a sense of while going out of control. Ultimately, it's like. It's, it's not safe because it's out of control. We don't know what we're going to find there, but it's ultimately safe because we trust something and we trust our ability to go into it. And we, we have a relationship to something that's beyond us. Mm-hmm. And so they're very intimately tied. <laughs> so one thing that I think is so powerful about reflecting on sex and the domain of sex is, as you're saying, there is such a parallel often between how we are relating to sex, how we, what kind of barriers or roadblocks or stuck points we're noticing around sex and other parts of our lives. So like the example you described where someone was noticing getting to a certain point and then pulling back or a tensing and that being something that was showing up both sexually and in, in their lives mm-hmm. more broadly. And, and so I guess I'm wondering for you personally, what, what do you see as some of the ways in which we can learn from what is happening in our sex lives and and take that wisdom to um, use that as an opportunity to reflect on our lives more broadly, how, how yeah. you see that sort of interconnection happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I do see all life as interconnected and it's almost like you could take any slice of life mm-hmm. and, and gain insight from it mm-hmm. uh, when you look at it deeply. And certainly sex is no exception. So we can use you know, our experience as sex in a way as a metaphor for other aspects of life. And uh, when we look at our sex life, it's like, oh, it also, it shows us in our most raw state. It, it, it reflects back to us our ability to, to be in our bodies our connection to others, um, our, our ability, like I said, to, to let go. And um, so often that is a reflection of other aspects of life. And so whether it's spiritual life, professional life, many different aspects of life, even family life, because when we, we look at, well, first of all, that sense I was describing of the willingness to attune to, to hear and to respond to that inner guidance that comes in our bodies, 
uh, our relationship to that often reflects our relationship to, to people around us. You know, um, I, I worked with a client once who had two young children and she described how she was so hard on herself and constantly judging herself, fear that she wasn't a good parent, you know, fear that she wasn't doing a good job, this incredible guilt. And so she was, you know, relating to her internal experience that way. And yet then she also, you know, was so afraid that she was doing that with her children. And, and a lot of that work was, oh, wait, I have to relate to my own inner world <laughs> as I, I want to be relate like my own, it's almost like her inner child, you know, you yes. could say one aspect of looking at it. If she wasn't treating her own inner world that way, of course, she was going to be fearful that externally that was going to show up. Mm-hmm. And so, so really developing that care and intimacy with our internal world, mm-hmm. if we're not, if we're not treating it well there while we might be able to take actions Mm -hmm. and, and let's say be, you know, uh, be kind, do Mm -hmm. these kinds of things, there, there's a disconnect. And even if the people out here, you know, our actions aren't harmful, Mm -hmm. we're conflicted yeah, because the way we're relating to our inner world isn't kind. And, and then ultimately, um, we're all sensing feeling beings. Some more directly in touch with that than others. We all have the capacity. We all have the capacity. And some people just feel it more acutely. And we can feel when someone is acting kind, is, is, mm-hmm. is doing things, but doesn't feel right. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, in sex, it's harder, especially as you're more attuned, to hide those things. Mm-hmm. We see each other in a raw way. Mm-hmm. And we see ourselves, you know, it, it, it's, um, especially as we go out of control, we see like what comes up in our mind, what happens in our body, mm-hmm. or where we can let go or where we can't. And so in some ways, it also magnifies, you know, um, our internal landscape. Mm-hmm. It, it comes out in a magnified way. And so, um, so, you know, absolutely. It's like learning, learning through our sex and our, it's, there's so much available to see there, mm-hmm. um, you know, both ourselves and, and with our partners. I want to pause there. Cause I feel like there was something else I wanted to say, and I'm trying to think of what it is. Um, think it's gonna maybe it will come back it to will me come back to you. <laughs> yeah. well, feel free to, yeah. to interrupt or to circle back yeah. Yeah. but I, I do think as you're talking I'm I'm nodding and and smiling because everything that you're saying resonates in terms of there just being so much to learn uh, from like you said every slice of life and how interconnected it is and I think one thing that I feel very aware of in terms of this piece of surrender and letting go in sex is also this, this dialectic of also being able to stay with intensity. So it's sort of like there's both, right? There's, and it's um, again, in this sort of moment to moment way, there are moments of sort of being with intensity without tensing or shying away from. And then there are also moments of, of letting go and how there's this sort of like dynamic 
interaction of just different ways of relating to experience, of relating to each other, of relating to our own internal experience that show up in life. And of course, then in sex too. Yes. Thank you for saying that because that's absolutely it. And, and sometimes people think like, oh, isn't sex indulgent or selfish mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. what's its relevance right now mm-hmm. with everything happening in yes. the world? Mm-hmm. And why focus on that? And you really named it because uh, one, the capacity to be with intensity, to stay conscious. And this is really, again, the merging of awareness and, and, and the erotic is to stay conscious when things are of high intensity and you know some of the highest sensation we experience in life is in sex mm-hmm. and the most out of control. And so when we're in a world that's out of control and in a world of high intensity, do we go unconscious? Do we pull back because it's scary? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we react unconsciously? Mm-hmm. Or do we have a capacity to stay with it and to feel it all and to be um, able to maintain consciousness while feeling that much, while being in the face of heightened emotions and heightened sensation, we can learn that in sex. So that's, that's mm-hmm. one piece. And then the other is sex touches the underbelly. It touches shame, fear, kind of more of our animal, you know, essential nature. It touches... Um, taboo, Mm -hmm. power dynamics. And again, if we can go in there and not make any of those things wrong, but again, learn to stay conscious with them and even learn to play with them. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the genius of things like BDSM or the kink Mm -hmm. um, is, is that uh, it's not just about playing out unconscious, uh, unconsciously these dynamics, but bringing consciousness into them and learning to come into relationship with them and understand how they play out in all of us. You know, all of us have these unconscious forces. Mm -hmm. And so can we come into them consciously? And then when we go out in the world and we encounter power dynamics, uh, we encounter shaming, we encounter these different aspects. We're not just in our habitual reaction to them. We can stay conscious with them and we can learn to interact with them. And so that's, you know, another huge aspect. And, and often, you know, you'll find, and I can say this is true for me in the past, it's that if I am not at home in those aspects of myself, I will not be at home in those aspects of other people mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And my uh, judgment, my condemnation, my superiority will show. And you can see that, you know, um, it's, it's kind of in some ways it's... Um, it's just such a kind of essential example now. It's like, oh, someone who, you know, I remember reading an article last year of, of a, a man who ran in the South, all of these reform, reform, quote unquote, schools uh, uh, for people who were gay, lesbian, bisexual. Mm-hmm. And he was running these schools. And then, of course, after so many years, he came out as gay. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, but he, he, he had for all those years not been in relation, in conscious relationship with his own self. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in sex, it's like we get con- connected and we experience. And if we do it consciously, we can learn an approval and an openness and a way of relating to the power of those aspects of self. Mm-hmm. 
And then the, the, the one other piece that I want to say is that, um, I mean, there's so many pieces, but one of them is that sex is a source of vitality mm. and, and, and literally like a physical energy that runs through us, uh, a pleasure and an aliveness. And, and that is an aliveness that um, we need to do things in the world. When we don't have energy, when we don't have inspiration, we might be able to do some things from our head, but it's either dry or it doesn't get much momentum. Mm-hmm. And to have that, and, and in fact, actually, I wanted to read this um, quote by, because Audre Lorde, uh, who is a brilliant writer and thinker, she really spoke to this. So I just want to, if it's okay, I want to- Please, of course. Yes. Okay. So, so she said, and she has a genius essay that she wrote many years ago, even decades, called um, Use, The Uses of Erotica's Power. Mm. And she said, the erotic offers a well of replenishing and provocative force to the woman. So she was speaking to women here, but could apply to anyone, to the woman who does not fear its revelation nor succumb to the belief that sensation is enough. The erotic has often been misnamed. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic, the plasticized. And for this reason, we often turn away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information, confusing it with the opposite, the pornographic. And, you know, she goes on in this essay to talk about this is that, uh, that when we're not connected to this force, we, we miss access to this aliveness, uh, to this essentially like an inherent power that we all have access to. Mm-hmm. And, and this I see is absolutely true. And again, when, when we prioritize the mind when we prioritize um you know even thinking of it that way the mind like because it's somehow as as if it's not part of the body (laughs) but like you know um thinking uh when we prioritize sort of structure formality over feeling Mm -hmm. uh over this deep embodiment or being connected to this aliveness then we miss out on the power that we need to really do anything in the world Mm -hmm. I, I think that's such a, a beautiful, beautiful quote. And as we've been talking throughout today and, and naming this interconnectedness of ourselves and different domains of life, it, it's making me more aware of this idea that depletion in in the area of sex is like depletion in other areas of life, right? So like you said, we're not really in our true power, in our true life force, in our true aliveness, if something in our life is off, regardless of what that something is, if it's sex, if it's parenting, if it's family, if we're tired, Um, but sex is no different. And yet so often we sort of partition it off or it's sort of compartmentalized to something Uh that's so separate, I think, because of as of some of the things that we've talked about in terms of conditioning or shame or, or whatever it is, but that to really be in your true power requires being in alignment and in your power in sex too, that it, they're uh-huh. inextricably connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I want to say one thing there, and that is that it can be easy 
for, for those of us who operate of like trying to do things right. And, Mm -hmm. and that it can be like, oh my God, an other area where I'm not doing it right. Right. Or I'm like, oh my gosh, it's affecting all these things. And so to watch for that state of mind and to know that if, if we, we switch it to kind of a slightly different um, view of it is that the erotic is this sense, this, the source of nourishment, of power, of aliveness, and that actually, if we start by filling up there, it can overflow into other areas of our life. And rather than that feeling that we're scraping by, that we're just getting it done, that we're having to push ourselves and like, how many people do I talk to this way? I mean, especially if you have kids, but even if you don't in, you know, right now or mm-hmm. in life in general, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm, I'm, and again, this is coming back to what I was talking about in the sex act itself, where it's like, we're striving for something and we're doing it based on an idea and a formula, but we don't, there's no actual energy fueling it. Mm-hmm. That's so often so much of our life. Like we walk around feeling like an empty shell or feeling like I'm following what I'm, when I'm, I've got my list, I'm going through and I'm checking it off and I'm just trying to get it done versus there's this whole potential well that we all have access to. Mm-hmm. We learn to turn towards it and to tend to it. And it can fuel us through all of those things. Mm-hmm. And it just, what it means though, it's like turning it a bit on its head, not like I'll get all this done and then maybe I'll have time at the end of the day right. for, for my erotic life right. <laughs> versus, oh, this um, tending to my being and, mm-hmm. and this force because actually that's what will fuel everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really, really resonate with that because like you said, it's a paradigm shift, right? It's not like this is my reward or my extra if I have the time. It's an integrated part of, of my being and it's a way of tending to myself holistically yeah. In, yeah. in the way that we often think about all of the different ways in which we can care and not care for ourselves. Like, of course, this is a key, key piece. And by not doing that, by not thinking about caring for ourselves, tending to ourselves in a holistic way, we are further reinforcing that conditioning. We're buying into this, this narrative that it is separate, that it is not as important, that it's selfish, that it's indulgent, like all of this messaging and narrative around sex that we're often confronted with like part of undoing that conditioning means engaging in more of this paradigm shift in a day-to-day kind of way yeah behavior that's it that's it and that it's not you know we have this idea of like we're meant to be driving through life with effort Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh you know it's like almost like we, we have a car and we're trying to drive it but there's no gas Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we're pushing it uh, versus, oh no, how we're designed is to have access to something deeper, to, to have this fuel, you know, that's how our human bodies are designed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if we choose to put gas in our tank rather than trying to push it through life. Mm-hmm. And, and even if we take a step back from that and, and not think of it even as such a sort of, you know, um, personal identity kind of way, even in a bigger way that life, you know, as human beings, we're designed for life to come through us, for, for something bigger to move through us. 
in, in a way you could think of it without not meaning it in kind of a esoteric way, but like mm-hmm. to be like channels of something for mm-hmm. vitality and aliveness and emotion and creation to come through us. Uh, but we need to be plugged in in order to do that. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so that, you know, that very thing is like the way we plug in is through that willingness to listen to desire, to trust it. Uh, so that we can let go. So this, this force can move through us in a way that we can deeply trust and we can let go and it can, um, we can be well used in the world mm. by something that's bigger than us mm-hmm. uh, to create beauty and connection and aliveness and change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and Justine, I'm curious to know what would you say to someone who, who might be listening and nodding and, and saying yes and really resonating and also feeling a bit afraid of taking some of these steps towards relating to sex in a different way to really reconnecting to, listening to, and following their inner guidance, inner wisdom when it comes to sex. I'm thinking about this question a lot from the perspective of the many of us on this planet who do have trauma around sex mm-hmm. and who might want something more and deserve something more and for whom this is an aspect of, of healing. And yet, understandably, there are there are some roadblocks and some some stuck points. What, what might you say to yeah. those people? So fear is a really common response when we start to feel that aliveness or turn on in our bodies mm-hmm. because of all the reasons you said. You know, at some point in our lives, fear came up as a way to protect us mm-hmm. uh, because it didn't feel safe. It didn't feel okay. Whatever the reason was. Now, the first step is acknowledging oh, that doesn't mean that that feeling of aliveness or turn on or sex in our bodies is wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's work to be done to integrate the fear. So also you don't have to fear the fear because that's sometimes we, we have a feeling come up and we're like, I don't want to feel fear. So I want to get away from mm-hmm. it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where these things control us. But it's like, oh, can we get curious? Like, oh, the fear rose up at some point in our lives to serve us. It's just not serving in the way that's where we want to be going anymore. Right. But again, you know, I often talk with clients as, you know, when someone externally is disapproving of us, it's rare that that really helps us mm-hmm. to truly change yes. or to, to, to feel open. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to stay open when someone's disapproving. And the same thing internally, we can be like, I got to get over my fear. I got to get rid of this anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we come in with that approach versus, oh, wow, okay, like, wow, thanks, fear, like, you, you've been, I, you've been working really hard, mm. and, and, like, and, and there's work that can be done to integrate that fear, mm-hmm. not to eliminate it, not to um, just follow along with it, but to integrate it so it can let go, mm. and again, all of these aspects of self, what's needed so they can let go, so we can trust this deeper feeling coming through us, and we can enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that is the work that I do with a lot of people is mm-hmm. whatever, if it's fear, if it's shame, if it's disgust, mm-hmm. if it, whatever the manifestation is, is how do we actually welcome those different aspects of self and integrate them so the deeper thing mm-hmm. can flow and we can actually fully access it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's, it's like it's its own form of trust in a way, trusting that that feeling, whatever it is, shame, disgust, fear is showing up for a reason and that there is some inherent wisdom there. Like you said, even though it's not perhaps serving in the way that we want or need and and perhaps letting it completely guide us would also not be resonant or in alignment, but there is a reason that it's here. And so sort of welcoming it towards a path of integration uh, rather than treating it as something that needs to be eradicated or pushed away because that is then sort of buying into the idea that it doesn't belong and that it's, that it's not a part of this wisdom. That's right. That's exactly it. And that, that it's not wrong. And the sensation Mm -hmm. that it's responding to isn't wrong either. Mm -hmm. And that like, there's, um, and again, this is where I think of like internal intimacy. There's an intimacy that can develop that, that it's like, that it's good and right to have that sensation come through us and that the fear can release because we develop this internal trust mm-hmm. and that can happen. And, and also to know, like when we go into the erotic, like I said, it's such a high intensity environment. It's going to be natural for those things to come up. So again, it doesn't mean that it's wrong or you're mm-hmm. doing it wrong mm-hmm. for disgust to come up for shame for, you know, like we can just see our own internal landscape in relationship to sex. If we look at it in the world and we, we see someone who's sexual or, you know, we, we get a reflection of like, oh, wow, all of these different feelings come up and it's like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. So great. We have some parts of self to integrate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a, a, another thought or question for you that I wanted to ask. Let me pause for a second and see if it comes yeah. back to me. about feelings, integration. Um, What was it? Oh, right. Um, seems to me like this also circles back to this idea of being with intensity Mm -hmm. because so often as as you know our human inclination is to turn away from or push away something that feels both intense and unpleasant and and oftentimes what softens emotion is being with it and and being with it in a way that doesn't dominate or dictate like you said that is more in a in an integrated fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's almost like there isn't a need to fear the fear because when we stay with the fear without pushing it away, without clinging to it, it will soften on its own. It will sort of take its, its natural course. It will sort of flow through us in Absolutely. a way. And we can trust that it's not going to be there permanently. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we can become more at home with intense experiences in our life that we experience through our body. Um, so we can just, you know, let's take the example of, in our, in our culture right now, maybe there's conversations about racism. Mm-hmm. And those might come up and, and it's like, well, that's an intense conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then it's like, how do I stay present with that intense feeling in my body 
So I don't need to pull away from it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go back to being quiet. I don't need to, you know, it's like, but actually I can stay with the intensity because I have a safety inside of intensity because of my internal relationship to it. Mm that then I can stay in challenging conversations. Yes. I can stay in challenging moments, whatever mm-hmm. those look like in my life. And um, they don't have to feel calm. They don't have mm-hmm. to feel easy because there's lots in life that's not calm and easy. In fact, mm-hmm. some of the most important things. And then I have the power to stay there because I'm okay with it being a strong and intense experience. Mm-hmm. And then when we have that, our ability to engage in the world and do things that are difficult while not cutting off a part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. Mm-hmm. Not having to go unconscious or deny a feeling, but to be with uh, in that experience with all of us mm-hmm. present, mm-hmm. then we have that power. Mm-hmm. While while you were talking, I was reminded of this experience that I had early in in my psychology training with some difficulty around being in the midst of intense emotion, particularly if there was a conflict with a client with whom I was working or something like that. And my mentor at the time helped me with this idea of what she would call an unshatterable place. So finding this, this place inside of myself that felt safe and protected, which I was reminded of as, as you were talking. And so she worked with me to figure out what that meant for me personally, was it a place in my body, a kind of sensation I felt in a certain place in my body that felt unshatterable, so to speak, or very grounding and soothing and safe, or was it some kind of image I could call to mind that that would help me connect to this inner sense of, of safety. And so I just love that idea of being able to come home to ourselves in, in a safe way in the midst of something really intense, whether it be a conversation, whether it be someone confronting us about a mistake that we've made, whether it be something sexual, but whatever it is that there is that place inside of us. And it's something that is also a skill to be able to connect to and access. Like it's something that we all have and can be enhanced. It's not like you're either born with it or you're not, but it's like, we all have that capacity. We just always, we haven't always been taught how to access it or, or what that looks like for us personally, because I do think some people are very visual and, and for some people, there's imagery involved. And for some mm-hmm. people who are more somatic, it, it's more of a felt sense in the body, but just sort of exploring for us each personally, what that feels like to connect to that place and how you know when you are in it and when you are not to help you get back to it when you're not. That's astray. a beautiful example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe one of the things I can I can leave us with is that if in our erotic life, when we open to the erotic, we can stay conscious and present when we feel our most vulnerable and exposed, mm. when we feel that shakiness, that rawness, that nakedness, and we can stay conscious and present there. Or when we're on the edge of climax and it's so intense, it feels like our bodies are going to explode. Mm-hmm. It's so hot, you know, <laughs> and we can stay 
present and conscious there. Like we are inside of ourselves, not separated, but in, in some ways where there's a, a, an internal intimacy and unity or, or when it feels like really raw and beasty and dirty and like, you know, in that like really animalistic way. And can, mm -hmm. oh, can I stay present there with like that intensity of rawness of energy? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, we can do it there. And then that actually, you know, that in some ways that's our, you know, just like we practice a mindfulness when we're washing the dishes. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> this, this mindfulness in those different terrains means we can walk out into life and we've cultivated, we've planted seeds, we've cultivated the capacity to do that when in other ways in our life, those experiences show up. Mm -hmm. Yes, there, there is that power that expands beyond one specific domain. It infiltrates and it, yes. and it grows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Well, this has been such a joy and such an honor and such a delight to talk to you. And I, I know we both share this passion for this topic that we feel is under attended to at times. And I, I just love how you have been in my mind, a trailblazer of sorts and expanded beyond the sort of traditional conceptualization of meditation practice and ways that we can live our practice outside of, of the cushion, so to speak. And it, it really is very inspiring to be talking to someone who has really practiced what she preaches in terms of like listening to that inner wisdom and guidance and trusting it, even when it seems to lead down paths that are unchartered. So I just, I just want to thank you because it really is such a joy and such an honor and, and such a delight and such an inspiration. So thank you for all the work that you do and for being willing to take the time today to share more with us. Thanks so much, Melissa. It, it truly delights me. <laughs> thank you for listening to the science and soul of living well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave us a review. If you'd like to reach out or connect more, please follow me on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next time.